Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it's Friday, July 7th, 2023. Here's a headline. This is a headline. It's a breaking story uh, in the New York Times. Uh, and, and ladies and gentlemen, this story tells you so much about MAGA, tells you so much about how the game of politics is played, and tells you so much about the potency of an abortion as an issue. It's all here in this story in the New York Times. I have read it. I have dissected it. I have absorbed it. I've talked about it endlessly last night with other people. So you don't even have to read it. I'm doing that for you, ladies and gentlemen, before I bring on my distinguished guest who's patiently listening to me. So here's the headline. Ohio moves closer to ballot issue that would protect abortion rights. Ohio. Let me give you an idea about Ohio. Once upon a time, Ohio was considered a swing state. In the last two presidential sections, the elections, the people of Ohio lost their freaking minds and have gone MAGA. They elected Trump twice. They voted for Trump twice. It's no longer a swing state. Uh, Barack Obama won it in 2008. Democrats have been losing ever since. Okay? Now, it is, as a MAGA state, it is essentially outlawed abortion in the state of Ohio. Ohio was the state, follow me, ladies and gentlemen, concentrate on what I'm telling you. Ohio was the state where a man raped a 10-year-old girl. She got pregnant. She couldn't get an abortion in the state of Ohio because there are lunatics. And so she went to Indiana to get the abortion. And then the lunatics in Indiana tried to prosecute or persecute the doctor who gave her the abortion as opposed to like saying, oh my God, this is an outrage that our neighboring state of Ohio is run by such lunatics that a 10-year-old girl who is raped has to come to Indiana to get an abortion. We're going to pass a law. Every bit as ridiculous and absurd as the one they have in Ohio. And furthermore, we're going to investigate the doctor because she may have broken some rule or regulation or something like that. That's how insane MAGA is. MAGA in Ohio, MAGA in Indiana. So the people of Ohio said, you know what? This is not a representation about how we view the issue of abortion. And there has been a movement to put on the ballot a referendum. Should abortion be a constitutionally enshrined as a right 
in the state of Ohio. If you say, if you believe it should be, you vote yes. If you believe it shouldn't be, you vote no. The person, the, the, the group that gets the most votes wins. So if the uh, pro-choice people get the most votes, it will be enshrined in the Constitution. That's, they've gathered signatures, over 700,000 signatures, oh, more signatures than they need to get it on the ballot for uh, November's election. So what has MAGA done? <laughs> you figure MAGA will be like, okay, let's, since uh, we, we have the people with us, we'll just uh, out hustle them in the election. Oh, no. <laughs> They've got a counter-referendum in August in the primary that says that we will raise the threshold you need to pass a referendum to 60%. After this referendum, by the way, so they'll only need 50.1% to pass a referendum that would raise the threshold that people need to pass a pro-choice referendum. Do you follow what I just told you, people? They're changing the rules. Why? Because they know that the people are not with them. They know that they're a minority controlling a, the majority of a state. So in order to perpetuate their rule, they're changing the rules. That's how MAGA plays the game. And then they say, this is so classic MAGA, like the MAGA spokesman, the, uh, the we hate abortion people, they're like, well, we're not worried about this. You know, there's other resolutions that have gotten over. Then they start trash talking it, in other words. Oh, we think we can win. We, it's nothing. Oh, if it's nothing, if you think you can win, then why are you trying to change the rules to raise the threshold? So they do two things. One, they stay their stupid trash talks, which so many liberal Dems are dumb enough to believe. They're messing with your brain. We're going to get into how the affirmative action ruling messes with black people's brains in a little while. They're messing with your brains. And then they're playing the game to try to change the rules to protect their interests against the interests of the majority. Will they get away with it? I don't know. I'll be watching it very closely. But I just want you folks to know that's how MAGA plays. That's how Republican plays. If you want to win in this game of politics, folks, you cannot continue. Like, when they go low, we go high. It will get you nothing but losses because the other side plays to win. Further ado, I want to bring on my distinguished guest because she's been patiently listening to me. I don't know if she agreed with anything I just said, but we will soon find out. First, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Candace Castillo, political director at SEIU Healthcare. Yes. That's it. And she's also a dear friend of the show who hasn't been on time for with the chastiser. Mm-mm-mm. But I'm done chastising her because she's here right now. We got a new mayor. I've been a little busy. Yes. We got a new mayor. Well, let's just, before we get into Ohio and your thoughts of how MAGA plays the game, let's just talk about the new mayor's name, Mayor Brandon Johnson. For years, Candace Castillo and Mayor, well, he wasn't mayor. He was just branded in those days. Uh, we're co-hosts of a talk show, a political talk show on a talk radio station in Chicago. And I just cannot remember the name of that radio station. I just can't. I think it's called You Are Fired, Ben. But I can't remember the name of that station for the life. <laughs> Brandon, I remember. That's at, no, 
no, you got it wrong. It's W W. You are fired. Oh yeah, right. I can't forget that. I remember Brandon was like, "Hey, don't hold this against me, Ben." But we got this gig at the <laughs> at the station that fired you, and I'm like, "It's all good. It's all good." Um, get the message out, however you can. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, so it's great to see you, uh, Candace. You look awesome, and um, it's just great to hear your voice. It's been too long. So thanks for coming on. Your thoughts before we get into what you want to talk about, what I just went down, how MAG is playing the game with that referendum in Ohio. Go. Um, people who only believe in democracy for certain people will always and have always played the game dirty. Period. Regardless if it was literacy tests, that if you could guess how many jelly beans was in the the jar and the person got it right. It was like, okay, now you got to do this. Or if it was, you have to be a property owner or a land owner, or if you were an enslaved person, if you are a person of African descent that started out as an indentured servant, and if you ran away, got caught, you became a slave it permanently. It That has always been for people who only believe and partial democracy, period. What's going on in Ohio is not surprising because they saw what happened in Kansas. There was no way that anything like that around abortion was supposed to pass in Kansas. And Ben, you're absolutely right. They do not have the average American vote. The average American vote does not agree with what the Republican Party is today. But there's enough anger out there about certain things that they are. And last but not least, this when they go low, we go high. No, uh, Michelle Obama cleaned it up herself. When they go low, sometimes you got to go toe-to-toe, period. Period. Um, and sometimes it's not worth the mudslinging. A lot of people say, oh, Democrats, you know, they just want to be above the pale. No, we have work to do. We have actual policies to pass, not just retroactively taking away rights from people, whether they be black, gay, uh, women. It, it doesn't matter. We don't want to take rights from people. We're trying to get more money into the care economy for home care and child care workers. We're trying to figure out the environmental stuff to make sure the West Side doesn't flood. We're trying to feed the migrants that are housed in these jails. We are not trying to take rights away from people. We are busy. They are just dis- destructive. And that is just another way of them being destructive. You know, I missed, uh, that was a great riff, by the way. That made me miss you uh, so much. Uh, but uh, I'm, I, I did not hear uh, Michelle Obama say that, I, that second part, where sometimes when they go low, sometimes we have to go toe-to-toe. Uh, I don't know how I missed that, but uh, that's a good Her line. interview with Oprah about her most recent book, she said there are some times where you just have to go in a corner and talk and cuss with your friends and then there's sometimes where you just have to get down with them, come back up, but get down with them. Simone Sanders also said something really similar. Like, it's no more they go low, we go high. Because they go below ground. Like, they, like, I don't know, are like red ants that bite at your heels that you got rashes 
for the next two weeks with. Like they're horrible. Yeah. I uh uh I think that 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 line about when they go low, we go high. Uh well, I know where it came in the 2016 campaign when Hillary Clinton was running against Donald John Trump, and the polls showed Hillary was winning. And so I think that was a classic democratic mind game of running out the clock. You get what I'm saying? Like so we're we got the lead. We think we all we have to do is run out the. It's how the Democrats play the game, Candace. Why they always lose when it gets really nasty. And uh, you notice Brandon Johnson didn't do that in the mayoral campaign. You know Brandon didn't do he every time he punched Vallis as hard as Vallis punched. We we didn't talk during. I didn't talk to you during the campaign, so we didn't even get him to. He I was punched busy back. being his oh. senior political. I was busy being his senior political advisor during the campaign. <laughs> But yeah. what I will say is we didn't have to. We didn't have to. We didn't have to punch. We didn't have to punch at all. We had to talk about his record and why he was bad for Chicago. Period. Nobody had to punch Vallis. Vallis punched himself on how he treated the children of Chicago. Vallis punched himself on how he treated the children of Philadelphia and New Orleans. We didn't have to punch his radio interviews on when he was a Republican. They punched at us. We didn't have to punch at him. Well, no, but Brandon, in the debate, it was like when Vallis would unleash some uh, abuse on Brandon. It, was, it wasn't like Brandon Johnson said, oh, well, I'm just going to have to disagree with you. No, he came back. <laughs> Bam. I didn't know he had it in him. Candace, I... I I had not seen that side of Brandon Johnson, the counterpunch. I had not seen that side uh, of him in there. Go ahead. The person that got the best dig on Brandon, and I probably shouldn't say this, is when Brandon is like, you know, it's hard when your daddy is a preacher and a carpenter like Jesus. And Congressman Garcia looked at him and said, my name is Jesus. So what? (laughs) And literally fell out i am campaign staff at this point and i am laughing harder than i am supposed to be laughing (laughs) because it it was an expected punch but we didn't have to go low we just had to state the record and state the facts just like this supposed this cocaine that was definitely found in the white house and trump said that biden is using come on That's just ridiculously going low because you can't find policy to go low on. I mean, okay, this a tangent within everything. In his own way, Donald Trump is the funniest politician of our lifetime. He, he the stuff he said is so weird and crazy and off the wall. The concept just think of Joe Biden using cocaine. It's just like he's the most uncoke guy in America, right? You know what I mean? Everybody knows that. But Mag will be like, "Oh yeah." You know, they're just not along with him. I don't think it'll Donald Trump saying that uh will affect anybody outside of Maga who already is prone to believe everything that Donald Trump says. It's just so absurd. Do you follow me? I mean, I don't know. Being like cocaine has historically been a rich white man's drug. Crack is something else. Cocaine has usually been a rich white man's drug. Now, Joe Biden got some money. He's poorer than most other presidents were. 
But the only rich white man I can find is Trump. The my pillow guy, he might have left it in there. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's who left it. That's a what well, that's that's what you call going low when they go low. All right there. The my pillow guy. Uh that was a joke, my pillow guy, all right? She was just joking. Uh, I was just joking, my pillow guy. Yeah, who, who, <laughs> whatever your name is, we all know his name. But I just let's just not give him any more credit than he deserves. Uh, all right, um, let's uh, pause uh, from uh, national politics uh, and do some local talk. Uh, Candace, uh, breaking news in Chicago today: uh, Tommy Schubert, the uh, Sun Times, shout out, uh, broke the story uh, about. Uh, potential sexual misconduct by police officers uh, with uh, asylum seekers, man. This is a story that is just sort of breaking right now, and it is an investigation about to happen. Your general thoughts about this? I have all the thoughts about it. I am upset. I am disgusted. But it even goes deeper than that. My uh, asylum seekers, whether grown men or children, have no business sleeping on the floors of police stations in the first place. That's number one. They are being treated very, very unequally district to district. There are districts that are making them go outside during the day. There are districts who have cots. There are districts who have blankets. There are districts that are letting medical teams in. There are districts that are trying to block medical teams, even come to give people medicine and mother's diapers and things of that nature. This is not a failure of the Johnson administration. This is poor planning on the Lightfoot administration. It is deplorable conditions in our jails anyway. Anyway, in our city jails, they look very nice outside. Shout out to the members of Local 73 who cleaned them, but they're deplorable conditions. He, oh, he don't work. Some bathrooms might be busted up. There are, they're just not great conditions. And it is unfair, once again, once again, we are asking police to do something that is not their job. We have a community crisis and we are putting it on the police. However, everybody should be treated with dignity, respect, humanity. So, you have police officers sleeping with asylum seekers and potentially at least one that was 16 years of age. What are they doing to other 16-year-old girls in the Chicagoland area? And does there need to be a wider investigation of this particular precinct? Because I can bet you dimes to donuts, this ain't the first time. Well, again, we're at the very, very early stages, uh, and uh, specific allegations have not been put out. Uh, and so I'm hesitant to jump in because I need to see more before I jump in. You know, I, I have, I'm with you 100% on that. It was absolutely absurd that uh, migrant, uh, excuse me, the asylum seekers were sent to police stations in the first place. 
and I fell from the get-go, and this goes back to when uh, the uh, uh, Abbott, Governor Abbott, started uh, sending him in buses to Chicago and other uh, Democratic enclaves. Uh, I was very disappointed with Chicago's attitude toward them. Uh, I feel that Chicago should have openly welcomed them. I think we should have gone one step further. Thank you, Governor Abbott. These are good, hardworking people. They're going to help our city. By the way, school enrollment is is going to projected to go up for the first time. Candace, okay. the, the Republicans and MAGA make fun of Chicago all these years. People leave in Chicago. The city's population is falling. People are are leaving with their feet. Blah 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 blah. Now population's going up. <laughs> Thanks to you, Governor Abbott. So you know, I, Chicago's had the wrong attitude about this. In my humble opinion, go. Ben, I don't exactly agree with you. On this one. Won't be the first I time. Especially, there's a lot of black communities, but a lot of poor Latin communities that have been yelling and screaming about certain things in their communities for years. Years. And have been completely ignored. I think where we are wrong here is saying people who have been ignored time and time again things taken away from disenfranchised it's like now feel open for this group of people that we are opening a place that y'all have been clamoring to be open since it closed same thing with wadsworth same thing with south shore high school there is no indoor pool in that community they have literally literally been trying to get it open to do to get go to the park district to do swimming lessons are they right? No. The way they've gone about it, do not like it at all. It is it is very prejudiced. However, I get it. These are communities that time and time again do not have enough resources for the people in their communities. Well, okay. So now, I, as I think that, yes, it's wrong, but I get it. Okay, so... You raise a separate issue. I will now address that issue. You raise a separate issue of inequity, particularly in the black community of the city of Chicago. So I've said this many times on a microphone. I've said this many times in print. So I'm repeating myself here. I don't mind. I will just, because I think this is a very important point to make. And I'm going to say it as calmly as possible because this is a new me. I'm not just going to be ranting and raving. I feel more people will listen to me potentially if I'm calm, okay? I did this rant and rave the other day. It was put on Instagram, uh, and MAGA went crazy. I was talking about 40 acres and a mule and how the government's been breaking promises to black people since the Civil War, okay? So now I'm going to say things calmly, particularly because I'm going to be talking about race, politics, and planning. So as far as I can tell, the purpose of the planning decisions made by the Daly administration and the Rahm administration that covered most of the years of this century were intended to encourage, that's a euphemism, black people to leave Chicago. Chris Kennedy said that in 2018, and the Sun-Times and the Tribune hammered him and said, how dare you say that about our mayor? And I said, hey, finally, someone spoke the truth. And so the reality is, yes, they closed, they, everything they could, 
to get black people to leave Chicago, school population falls, close the schools. Bob, you could have kept them open. You could have turned them in. You're right. You absolutely have the TIF money. The money's there. It's not, see, I'm getting all excited. I, I, I remember I said, Candace, I was going to be calm. The money was there, but they chose not to spend it. They chose to lock up those schools. That is absolutely a disgrace. And yes, I do believe it's part of the risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist. I believe it was part of a larger plan to change the demographics of the city of Chicago. And it was a plan that I think that really could go back to the 1970s. If you wanted to take a look at planned decisions from the old man, Mayor Daley, uh, but it's definitely was strong in the nineties. And so I think that is what we as a city are dealing with right now as we enter the Johnson administration. Your thoughts on what I just said? It goes back endlessly. It goes back to old man daily, not even wanting to pick up garbage on the South and West side. It goes into the riots of uh, 1921. It goes into, I think, it, the mayor called it well, years before he ever ran for um, mayor, the African American Removal Act. It was not just Daly and Rom. It was. It goes deeper than that. It was the media. It was everything you heard about Inglewood. All the woman Stephanie Coleman puts on a concert. This will be her third year doing, third or fourth year doing it, on 63rd Street, 63rd and Halstead. What used to be considered one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, she puts on a free concert for the community that attracts all the people. There are people who will say, I can't go down there. Because it's just so violent. Who won't go past the University of Chicago. Who thinks that everything on the South Side where I grew up at. Where the story of black labor is in Chicago. In Rosemore and in Pullman. They won't go over there because they think it's so violent. Or when you had a baseball team from the suburbs that wouldn't come to Brooks at the time, which was in the top 10 of public schools in Chicago to play a baseball game because they have been sold this bill of goods that the South Side writ large is so violent. It has been a strategy to move black people out of Chicago. But I'll go a step further. It has been a strategy to move poor people out of Chicago. It's not just black. It's black. It's brown. It's first generation Polish families. It's it's whoever you can think of. If you are poor, we don't want you here. Poor does not equate a world-class city in a lot of people's views. Look at what's happened with Eric Adams in New York. Because poor does not equate a world-class city. What doesn't equate a world-class city is actually trying to help the people that are living in poverty, living with mental illness, living with a disserved education system, living with a disserved drainage system system water reclamation district 
that's what it is. That is not a world-class city. That is deplorable. Uh, and yeah, I'll, uh, so I'll, I, I stand corrected, uh, poor black people, predominantly poor black people. And, and I'm talking about the policy of the last 20 years, uh, without doing the whole historical thing, but listen for, I, for as long as I can remember the planning decisions of this city were intended to ignite gentrification. So gentrification literally is a way of moving poor people out of a city. Uh, and, uh, People didn't come right out and say, we are moving poor people out of a city. It, you know what I mean? They didn't speak it that clearly. They talked around the issue. That was the net intention of <laughs> using property taxes to subsidize developments that increase uh, the cost of living in Chicago. What do you expect will happen if you do that? Exactly what happened is what happened. Uh, and, uh, so yes. So now I, I see, I, I get the point. I mean, people will be mad. Wait, wh why didn't you open a school for us? We, we wanted it. I, yeah, I hear you. Why'd you close it in the first place? <laughs> I hear you. Uh, that said, I believe you could have done it if you really were creative and I'm not saying, I, I don't want to make it seem like it's easier than it is, Candace, because I'm just some guy sitting in my attic. But if you're really creative, you create jobs for people in South Shore building the housing for the people that are coming from Texas. You make everybody benefit and maybe spend the money that you would spend on Lincoln Yards doing it if you're really creative and you really care about the people in South Shore. But we're not that creative. And we really don't care about the people in South Shore. That's how I view it. But we are that creative. We do really care about the people in South Shore. Shout out to Alderman Desmond Yancey. One of the only reasons I worked in Chicago politics. We do care about the people in South Shore. We are fighting for the people in South Shore. And we can be that creative. We can be that creative. But we have been, and I'm speaking of black people, I'm speaking of myself, we have been hurt by a system that has been, has constantly ignored us. And when you are dealing from a place of hurt, you deal from a place of anger. So people are now angry. And think about what's happening to, to the South Shore community. Everything, their taxes, rent their home is changing their home is changing and pushing them out with the coming obama center even if the obama center did not intend for this to happen their home is changing and pushing them out they have environmental crises which no one is talking about and now the migrant situation yeah uh it's a triple way well listen uh and since I'm doing, I told you, I told you to put the Obama Center on the West Side. You didn't listen to me, Chicago. I said it at the time. Put it on the West Side. And then I went to the meeting at Hyde Park High School. I don't know if you were at that meeting. Oh, my goodness. Dope. It's on the South Side. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to you talk about how you should put it on the West Side. Should have been on the West Side. I, I, stand by. I have no problem with it being on the South Side. I have problems with it displacing 
families that have been on the South Side for generations. Um, All the women Taylor passed a community benefits agreement for Woodlawn. I hope we see the same or something similar in South Shore. Um, Because the community deserves that. Um, Same thing with people in Hyde Park. Uh, because that community deserves that. You know, you see houses in Jackson Park Highlands, which has always been pretty expensive, right, to live in Jackson Park Highlands. But you now see houses that was $400,000 before the announcement of the Obama centers, now almost $2 million. Condos that they wanted $120,000 for. Five years ago, they now want three and four hundred thousand dollars for. Woodlawn, Woodlawn got seven hundred thousand dollars houses. The median income in Woodlawn is still twenty four thousand dollars a year. They're not building that for the people that are there. They're building that for what's to come. And all those messages send, what's to come is not you. So again, another group of people come. And it's like, they feel like it's rolling out the red carpet when it isn't at all. By the way, uh, when when housing prices go up that uh, much, folks, uh, property taxes will also rise, which, which is another huge factor uh, in the gentrification of a city. In fact, that's the main tool. So the, the more a city is dependent on a property tax, the higher the property tax goes because of gentrification, the more poor working people, uh, working class people will be moved out. It's just, there's no way around it. You just got to add, it's you, I, you, it just to add that expense. Your salary is not keeping up with the pace of the rising property tax. It's just not happening. Uh, and uh, this is a very And where are problem. people moving to? And where are people moving to? Some move to Iowa. Some move to Minnesota. A lot of people are moving to Georgia, Florida, and Texas, which has some of the least, um, the worst school systems in the country and some of the least paying jobs. You are not, most of them are not moving into the heart of Atlanta. They're moving to somewhere in the suburbs. Yeah, I was going to say, northern, uh, northeastern uh, Indiana, a lot of people moving to northeastern Indiana, south suburbs. Uh, you're right about Iowa, uh, and uh, you're right about Minnesota. So uh, just get out of town. Get out of Chicago. And that was the plan. That was the plan in this century. Get out of Chicago. And then every time they open up a bakery on the west side, like one bakery, some, they make such a big deal about it. And meanwhile, 20,000 people have been moved out. But let's talk about this. I'm not hating on any bakery or any business or anything, any individual. But I'm just talking about the propaganda that gets put out. I've been watching it for a long time, Candace. Uh, all right. Um, something else on your mind that I would love to hear you riff on? Uh, the MAGA 6 and their ruling on affirmative action. Uh, we've been talking about this a lot on the show. Almost every guest has weighed in on it uh, one way or another. And, it, of course, just uh, as my listeners know, it came in uh, a case involving uh, Harvard uh, and North Carolina on admissions. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the MAGA-6, in their uh, infinite wisdom, determined that somehow or other uh, helping a black person is discriminatory against a white person. 
Uh, that's their decision. They base that on reading one sentence in one speech by Martin Luther King without reading anything else the man ever said, totally throwing out the man's entire legacy uh, and using him to justify absolutely everything he fought so hard in his life against. And so that is you your know, Supreme Court in action. Go. You know, the funny thing about it is with the King reference is I like to say y'all kill King five years before he actually died. You cut his life off at that one speech in 1963. He lived all the way till 1968. And what he started to talk about toward the end of his life was poor people and how it was an economic thing and capitalism actually was a huge part of the problem and robert f kennedy who they also killed started talking to people in mississippi and appalachians black white in between on poverty issues so let's talk affirmative action maybe not from the lens other people have but affirmative action in this country has benefited white women loads more than it has ever benefited black or brown people. Period. They have benefited, white women have benefited the most from affirmative action policies. But let's look at the part of they didn't take away, which is legacy and employees of the university. So employees of the universities back we're going to say 45 years ago, meant everybody that worked for the university. So you got a security guard on campus. They worked for the university. They got to go to school. Their kids got to go to that school for free. You had a janitor. They worked for the university. Their kids got to go for free. Cafeteria lady for the university. Their kids got to go for free. You don't have that anymore. And think about this with most benefits for most companies. Those people do not work for the university. They work for subsidiary companies. We know the name, Aramark, Universal. They don't work directly for the company. So because of that, or these universities, because of that, they don't get the same benefits or even the same access. They can't go for school discounted themselves. They can't have their kids even go to summer camp at most of these places discounted. No matter how how much they know the head guy, it's not happening. So what happens? Generationally, those people, let's say in the 80s, had a leg up. That next generation knew If I could get there, I know I can change the economics of my family in great ways, right? Or that janitor stayed there knowing that that child wanted to go to Harvard. And let's bring it closer to home. University of Chicago, so bad. And they were going to stay on that job to make sure that child could go to college. No. Now that can't happen. And even in clerical settings. There's a lot of temp agencies that are hired at these universities. So what does that mean? It's mostly 
professors, and professional staff. People who are already in well-paying middle-class jobs can send their kids to University of Chicago for free. And I'm just using them as an example. Your um, CNAs at the hospital, they don't have that right. They don't have that right. Oh, the hospital is different. They don't have that right. So what are we really doing? We are just codifying selection even more into that process. And why not? What is wrong with the people that work at that university being able to get a leg up? They work at that university every single day. And please, let's not even get started on graduate students or grad employees, because there are actually employees who may um, have a child that's college age. Their kids cannot go for free. Their kids can't go for free. Kids now can go to the lab school at University of Chicago of a graduate student at a discounted rate. The lab school last I checked was $37,000 a year. Graduate employees only make about $37,000 a year. And that's who is teaching your $70,000 a year education to your child going to the University of Chicago. Wait a minute. I just need to understand something. You tell me tuition at uh, the lab school, this is how ignorant and out of it I am, is 37000 a year? Like if you send your kid to a kindergarten or it's first about- grade? Yeah. Um, Now, I will say the lab school is the only is the only union privatized school in Illinois. Shout out to the lab school. They're IFT local, all of their own. However, I think Parker is, too. Uh, I I actually think, uh, God, now I remember doing a story about this. uh, back in the day, about 10 years ago, taking a look at the contracts that have been negotiated at the lab school in Parker and comparing it to the contracts that the teachers uh, got in Chicago and how much, like, I'm not hating on lab school at all, okay? I just want to make that clearer. The teachers, God bless them. They negotiated a good deal. I'm not hating on I'm just saying they had a better deal than <laughs> Chicago's and all these, like, Arnie Duncan types, you know what I mean, who send their kid to the lab school or denouncing the teachers' union. I'm like, wait a minute. You send your kid, Rom, Rom sent his kid to the lab school. Kids went to the lab school. Shout out to Mayor Johnson yet again for actually having appointed people on the school board whose people go to Chicago, whose kids go to Chicago public schools. That, That simply. Well, we uh we did a talk uh the earlier show today about the uh, school board appointees. Uh if, uh, that's been a topic of conversation. Uh I got the list right here. I'm looking at these school boards. So I'm looking at these nominees. I'm laughing because these are people that like I would have talked to <laughs> like yeah. three years ago, you know? I would have like talked to them and uh <laughs> I could never imagine anybody that would have a conversation with me voluntarily getting appointed to the school it's usually like well-connected bankers and uh you know uh, part of the downtown business community uh, that despise the left and uh at best are squishy liberals they pretty much will do whatever rom or daily tells them 
So they never talked to a person like me. And I'm looking like, oh, my goodness. Mary Fahey Hughes is on the board. <laughs> she has been fighting for special education in this city for so long. So, but it, you know, it's only a, it's only a year, Canada. We're about, that's a whole other, so you got to come back. The school board fight coming up for the elected school board will be a fight. The right's going to make a move on that uh, in the city of Chicago. Your thoughts go. Absolutely. The right is going to make a fight. Those are the same people whose kids go to these schools. That's, these are the same people. They are not different people. These are the same people. University of Chicago has a billion dollar endowment. That's the endowment. Every kid in the area of Woodlawn should go to school for free. And that still would not be touch that endowment. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so even that touches the employee part. But let's talk about the legacy part of it. Okay. Ben, name some of the schools that are caught up in the arguments around um, affirmative action. Some of those Ivy League schools that are caught up in these arguments. Harvard, what are some of them? Harvard, Harvard? Yale, mm -hmm. Columbia. Mm -hmm. How many more Ivy League schools can I name? Princeton, mm -hmm. Dartmouth. I'm doing the mm -hmm. whole Ivy League in my mind. It's not as easy as it looks. Cornell, uh, which one am I forgetting? College of William and Mary, Brown. Brown, Brown. Thank you. I should know Brown. I'm from Rhode Island. Go ahead, yeah. Every school you just named, yeah. University of Chicago, the money for those universities can be tied to a legacy of slavery. Either their founders first presidents, the people who did the first endowments for those universities has a direct tie to slavery. So when we are talking about legacy students being able to go to those schools for free, shouldn't we be talking about the descendants of slaves in America? Yes. We are literally, literally the full legacy of those institutions. Now, some of them have nice things on their campus commemorating that. But if I never get a chance to step foot on your campus, what does that mean? Nothing. If I don't get a chance to take full participation in that education system, what does that mean? And how are these universities giving back? To some of these communities, I think the most egregious is John Hopkins University, who Oprah did a whole movie on Henrietta Lacks. Literally, her cells were stolen at this hospital. Experiments done over generations. Her now great-grandkids cannot go to John Hopkins University for free. So what does that say about whose legacy that we are willing to look into. The legacy of people with money who could provide money right now. That's what that's what that's about. It's a transaction. It's I will let your child in and you will give me money. It's I mean that's what it's about. 
It's about uh, raising money, th- having a network that you can rely on. When you talk about the endowment that these universities have, this enormous endowment, it's built up in part by this system. So I'll, I'll let your kid in. You kick in a little. We're all good, you know. And uh, I, I'll tell you the attitude. Remember when Rauner, Bruce Rauner, uh, ruiner. <laughs> yeah, ruiner. Remember, <laughs> remember, he used to be the governor, ladies and gentlemen. I know you put that out of your mind, Illinois. You're a little embarrassed by it, I think. Uh, he, he, he wanted his, I forget, son or daughter, I can't remember what, uh, to go to um, Walter Payton. And by the way, I think it was Walter Payton, not a school from the suburbs, that was afraid to go to Brooks. I want to say it was parents from Walter Payton. We'll have to look that was up. Was it? I want to say, I remember it. I remember when it was going down because believe it or not, uh, Anthony Beal, who's the alderman of the Ninth Ward, is the coach of the Gwendolyn Brooks baseball team. I am not making this up. Uh, you know what? Anthony Beal, alderman I grew up with, Politically, we do not agree at all. However, he is doing some phenomenal things when it comes to sports and kids in the city of Chicago. He has a whole facility that focuses on basketball, baseball, football, and soccer. He's giving these kids a place to practice that we haven't seen in a long, long time. No, I listen, I, I'm, Anthony Beal and I do not agree on politics much about politics at all he was a valid supporter and uh we had a field day with analyzing i do stand with anthony beal during those lightfoot years many of those uh issues that he challenged lightfoot a parliamentary procedure in the city council i was with him on i always like to point out i wish you would raise those same issues when mayor Rahm was the mayor and when uh mayor daly was the mayor we don't see eye to eye politically but i'm with the man loves sports he loves baseball i love baseball so yeah, I I have to make that. But it it shows when it's investment in after school programs and sports in black communities and brown communities that crime does go down in that immediate Rosemore and Pullman area. Crime has gone down. Kids got stuff to do. They got a place to go to practice. That says a lot. And no, we don't agree on a lot, but I think Anthony Bill, just like myself, just like you, Ben, would totally agree on a fully funded park district. Okay. So the point I raised about him is that he was the coach of the Brooks team when I think it was parents at Peyton, and I'll have to look this up, but I believe it was a school in the north side, not in the suburbs, where there was concern about going down to play. Uh, and I remember uh, how upset he was. Uh, and the sports pages just called him Coach Beal. They didn't even say it was. I remember it was sometimes. Alderman right? Coach Yeah, they Beale. didn't say. Well, yep. No, I'm like, that's the alderman. They didn't, I guess, the, you know, you can't expect a sports writer to follow politics. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> Just to stick to sports, guys, okay? Uh, and <laughs> uh, just kidding, sports writers. All right. Uh, so you laid out the case against the uh, ruling just now and the hypocrisies and the inconsistencies embedded in it. So let me ask you this question. Why do you think they did it? Why do you think the MAGA 6, led by Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas, really Clarence Thomas was the, the leader of this one, why, why do you think 
They were so determined to blow up affirmative action. I mean, it's it's just a handful of people that it affects relative to all the people in the country. We're not solving the problems of inequity and uh, race relations here, ladies and gentlemen. It's just like a tiny little program. They made such a big deal about it. They blew it up like it was a serious offense. So why, in your humble opinion, Candace, do you think they were so eager to blow up this program? Because I think, well, a couple of things. Um, I think this is Clarence Thomas's, this was Clarence, what he wanted to do from the moment he became a judge, forget getting on the court. He wanted to break up what got him where he was. He wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. Um, and maybe, maybe he feels a certain type of way about himself. I think this has nothing to do with other people or anything actually being wrong with affirmative action. Because guess what? These colleges in particular, this country writ large, has a large debt to pay. Yes, to black folks, to women, to Latino people, to Native American people. Yes, to Asian people also, people of Asian descent also, even though they may feel different about this. It's a very, very large debt to pay. And America has shown time and time and time and time again that they are unwilling to pay it. Now, for me, I think this opens the door to many, many other things. Everybody is like, oh, now... You know, HBCUs are going to get a higher enrollment. We are. I went to HBU, HBCU, shout out to Alabama A&M University. But it also helps open the gates that these states can say, well, it's no longer really needed. And you can come, you can become a part of the university system. And guess what? There's already a move to do that. There's already a move to do that in these Republican-led states with these black institutions. The move is already there to do that. Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida have all made moves in their legislatures to do that. And this helps makes it easier. So what's next? Taking away certain type of funding from land-grant institutions at Alabama A&M and North Carolina ANTR? What's next? Taking away some of the federal funding Howard University gets? Like, it can open the door and employment. And employment. So, in this case, Clarence Thomas has done exactly what Ronald Reagan, Daddy Bush wanted him to do. His funders that pay for his mother's house. And it's because I got mine, you get yours. It's not, it's not any magic sauce. It's not any great mystery. What the great mystery is, is why he's not in jail yet. Or kicked off the Supreme Court. The great mystery is why haven't black folks been supporting HBCUs all along in the way that we should have been? 
why doesn't Alabama A&M have a million dollars, a billion dollars in endowment also? We need to stop playing this game like the Supreme Court does not do certain decisions to set up and tear down other decisions. Just like I am sure this ruling on this lady who did not build a website yet, but it's a website that she may build and she didn't want to build a website for a gay couple that didn't exist, but she may. What? That is going to, that they're using this, there's test cases coming everywhere about LBGTQIA rights. And what does that mean? What does that mean? How do we stop it? And I know this is going off the subject, but I find it absolutely insane that Joe Biden is still against expanding the court. <laughs> That's not uh, absolutely insane. Uh, I mean, that's not off the subject. That's very much part of the subject. And it'll give us an opportunity uh, to end the conversation where we began it. Remember what I said at the outset? Republicans do what they have to do to win. So in the state of Ohio, the rule is if you get 50 plus 1% of the vote, your referendum passes. So what are the Republicans doing? <laughs> they know they're going to lose. So they're going to pass a rule that raises the threshold. They don't care if you say, oh, they're changing the rules. They don't care if you say, oh, you're breaking tradition. They don't care what you say because they're in it to win. But Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden man, he watched what uh, uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans did to Barack Obama and Merrick Garland back in 2016 and has walked away concluding that they play by rules. How he can reach that conclusion? They do play by rules. They do. And white Protestant men in this country have always played some, have always played by the rules that they come up with. Yeah, that's true. They write the rules and then they play by them. Uh, and, and rewrite them. And, and, and reserve the right them, to rewrite them. And rewrite them once they break them. All right, Candace, we have run out of time. Uh, when when Candace and I get going, it could be like a three-hour conversation. Uh, we're approaching an hour conversation here. So uh, it's good to, to see you and hear you and talk to you. And I will not let as much time pass uh, before your next appearance. And since you're no longer connected to that radio station whose name I can't remember, you'll be freer to come on my show. So look at that. I'll be freer to come on your show. Yeah. And you know what? Let's think about this. The last person uh, that Candace did a talk show with became mayor of the city of Chicago. Does this mean I'm going to become U.S. senator or something like that if she comes on to my show? Senator Javosky sounds good. <laughs> no, no. I like to sleep too late and go to bed too late. What's that? I'm going to get t-shirts made, okay? Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Senator Jarofsky, oh my God. All right, Candace Castillo, thank you so much. Uh, it's a blast talking to you. Uh, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, that's the great Candace Castillo. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Oh,